In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 423 of our ongoing exploration of the immersive cosmos this week sean kowalty and chelsea sutton of rogue artist ensemble the la-based company behind works like kaidan project walls grow thin and senior plumbers final fiesta are here with us for a quite lovely conversation about their upcoming projects including the one-off carousel of fools taking place in santa monica this month and the full-length immersive show schlitzy alive and inside the decaying sideshow which is slated for later this year Grab yourself a warm mug of your beverage of choice, or if you're our New Zealand listener, might I suggest a frosty tumbler, and settle in for a delightful chat about the shows, the ensemble's process, and making stories about L.A. Speaking of beverages, why don't you come raise one with us if you're in New York City or L.A.? Come on down on Monday the 29th to one of our 10th anniversary meetups. In Manhattan, we'll be at the Cell Theater, and the guests of honor will be the creative team behind the upcoming The Tiger's Bride. While in L.A., we'll be at the Roguelike Tavern in Burbank, our home away from home, as it were, where we will be trying out a community announcements format for those who've got projects to staff up and events to announce. We've got some events to announce, so uh, that's why we're doing it. We're going to share the floor with everybody else. Uh, how are we going to do this? I don't know yet. I just uh, decided on this a few minutes ago, and I'm like, yeah, that's how we're going to do uh, That's how we'll call it, because I knew I wanted to do this about a week ago, and now I've got a name for it. And then i got to figure out a format. Don't worry. It'll be fine. Uh, tickets for both are pay what you can, and we strongly encourage you to lock in those this weekend. As uh, we've got less than 10 for L.A. and under 25 for New York City. Uh, as usual, this will sell out. Those tickets available now. Check the show notes. Remember, no pro backers get first crack at tickets to these things, along with access to our Discord, where you can connect with fans and creators across the world. Uh, we're having a quite lively water cooler discussion right now uh, that I that I need to get back to. Uh, I asked a dumb question when I was meeting up with... Uh, our friends from Morty for coffee and, uh, and check out the Morty app if you haven't, and particularly if you're looking for escape rooms. Uh, it's it's an incredibly useful tool for that. So I was meeting with Andy, and I asked a question, uh, and, and you can join this. Here, here's an incentive to get to the Discord. I just asked, you know, I just found myself thinking about the Wii and Rock Band. I'm always thinking about Rock Band, that game. Uh, not always, but a lot. And I was like, was that the first immersive gaming? or Or did it, or did they like, sort of prime the pump do they sort of set up uh for for immersive gaming you know sort of like a, a precursor to the the escape room boom and so andy and i had a good talk about that uh over coffee uh before we talked about some other stuff uh the actual reason why we're getting together to talk over coffee uh and uh, i dropped it into the to the water cooler and uh I, I think it's still going on um uh after like a couple of days so jump on in uh there's some fun folks in there I got to get back to it. I want to I want to spin it uh, in a deeper direction. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff that goes on our Discord. No one asks a dumb question. It's been a while since I've done that. 
Uh, you do that more often. If you if you've got a silly question, uh, you want to jump into the water cooler, please do. No pro backers, you have access. Head over to patreon.com slash no for the hookup. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Cameo Wood, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Kurt Collins, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker Lacool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. And hey, we're always on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noah at noproscenium.com for details. How did I nearly mispronounce that? All right, let's get into this episode. Joining us this week are Sean Kowalti and Chelsea Sutton of Rogue Artists Ensemble, the hyper theater company that brought LA such immersive works as Kaidan Project, Walls Grow Thin, and Senior Plumber's Final Fiesta, along with a host of totally non-traditional, non-immersive theater like Woodboy Dogfish, who are here to talk to us about the exciting things the ensemble has in store for 2024. Sean, Chelsea, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for, thanks having, for having, us. having us. Very good. Um, <laughs> and and thanks for dealing with uh, the the interminable preamble that happened <laughs> like before. <laughs> um, so so we're talking right now because Chris Woolman, who is a pillar of the theater community here in LA in multiple ways, I'm saying that for the record and hopefully embarrassing Chris a little bit in the moment because that's why I do such things. Uh, Chris flagged to me that you're set up to have a banner year. You did this a couple of weeks back. And, and we'll get into that in a moment, but you have something coming up next week in terms of when this show is going to drop. Uh, tell us about Carousel of Fools. Sean and I are just staring <laughs> at each other. <laughs> Who's going to take it? Um, do, you, do you, I mean, maybe, maybe we'll pretend the question nothing. was just asked. Yeah, okay. assume people okay. know absolutely nothing and, right. and ping pong off of each other. I'm not going to cut this part, right? Okay, no, no, great, great. no, this is yeah. perfect. This you, is, this is the exciting yeah. process that everyone wants to hear. Yeah. It's, 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 it's representative of the sort of feeling I think that, that as a company, we feel where we're sort of like emerging from the cave that we've been in tinkering yeah. away on various things. And now we're like, Oh wait, how do we do this again? What is this? What's engagement? What's theater? What's, what's immersive to us? All these sort of questions that we feel like we're asking for the first time. And I think along the way, we realized what we, what we just needed uh, for, for practical and emotional reasons was just to throw a really great one night immersive party. Mm, and yeah. that is uh, the Carousel of Fools, which will be taking place on Thursday, January 25th at the uh, Santa Monica Pier in the amazing historic Loof Hippodrome building which is what houses this incredible hundred year old plus carousel. Uh, Chelsea has been uh, sort of brain creative brain child dreamscaping the, the event. So I think I'm going to pass it to Chelsea to talk a little <laughs> bit about some of, some of what folks might find there. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun event. There's, we have like 30 games and pop-up performances that are happening, um, including some sideshow performances. Um, 
One of our ensemble members is a sword swallower. So she is actually pairing up with a, a longtime partner of hers who's also a sword swallower. And we just learned from Amy that female sword swallowers are actually very rare. So it's even rarer to see two of them together at the same time. So they'll be doing some sword swallowing and blockhead work and other kind of silly human stupid tricks. Um, and we also just met with the... Um, John, correct me the name of the trapeze school that's on the pier, um, on the Santa Monica Pier. Do you, do you, I don't remember their whole name. <laughs> so, we met with them on Monday. They're amazing. Um, we're going to do a it's, little... It's called, it's called the um, Santa Monica Trapeze School. Thank and, you. Uh, I can see we... why that was hard to remember, y'all. No. <laughs> well, it's, it's, no it's, they just changed, they just changed oh. ownership and names. Yeah. So it used to be called the Flight School, which mm-hmm. is what it was for all time until just a few months ago okay. when a new owner took over. And that new owner happens to be uh, one of the dear friends of the company, Audrey Moore, who was uh, who's been in productions and is a supporter of the company. The new flight school is, is um, run by a dear friend of Audrey's. So we got connected and have forged what is going to be a really amazing partnership for this event where um, certain folks that will be coming to the Carousel Fools will actually be able to arrive a few minutes early to have a what I think will be a pretty singular experience in the uh, trapeze school and uh, get to see it in a totally different way uh, that um, I don't want to ruin too much of the surprise, but yeah. um, it's, it's definitely going to be quite a highlight for folks. Yeah. Oh, and that's and fun too. Like you're activating even more of the pier and the, and the space exactly. around the pier that way. That's really cool. Yeah. And they're really emerging artists. I, I mean, when you think about school, you think, oh, these are people who learned the trapeze yesterday. And that's not the case. Just the, the few people that we met on Monday. I mean, they've been doing this for years and yeah. they are highly skilled artists. <laughs> So it's mm-hmm. if we're going to get a few of them to come down to our little stage that'll be outside on the deck, um, just outside the building for the carousel, where we'll have the sideshow acts. And then they're going to send a few folks from their circus school, I think a juggler, things like that. So it's going to be a nice grab bag of performances there. And then we're going to have a few puppet performances that we have been creating just for this event. Um, one of them is about a fire-breathing chicken. I know this. Um, one of them is, I think, a, a monster truck ballet. So, you know. <laughs> I love those words Lots being put things. together. That's fantastic. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but the kind of immersive feeling of this is that, you know, the carousel is not open usually at night. So this is just in itself being able to ride this hundred year old carousel at night in the middle of January in like the dead of winter in, in California, in Santa Monica is very magical in itself. So we, the energy of the night is going to be that this carousel kind of erupted outside of time around this beautiful carousel and when and you as an audience member have been drawn to this space to hear kind of the history and, and, and celebrate this place in a very positive, obviously a little bit of a dark carnival twinge to it because everything that we do is like a little dark and a little spooky. 
But um, it's really celebrating the space and celebrating coming together. Um, and I'm working on a to get even deeper in. If you really want a little bit of a narrative, I'm working on a, a little immersive story that you can opt into called The Apothecary of Stories, in which you'll work with the apothecary to kind of gather and save the story of the carousel that has been scattered around this carnival. And you have to go and save pieces of it so that we remember it um, before it's lost to the night. So, that, that, that feels a know. little akin to, in, in kind of a, a meta way, some of, some of the work you've been doing as a company about sort of stories that are true yeah. to L.A. Um, and so, so there's thematic resonance there. I mean, we'll, we'll dig down into that in, in a second. I wanted to circle back to something Sean said about, you know, kind of dusting the cobwebs off and mm-hmm. kind of like getting, mm-hmm. getting back to like w- what this means. Like how, how much has, has setting up for the carousel, setting up for this, this party, how much do you feel like it's like, you know, reawakening things or are there things that, that and, 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 you know, Chelsea, you hop in on this one too, but are you feel there are like kind of, you know, muscles that haven't been used for a while or like flows where you're like, Oh, right. We love doing this part of it. I think that the answer is yes to all of it. It's, you know, we, as a company, I, I think we have always been in movement, you know, uh, our, our work is very, uh, you know, I think, I think of our work a little bit like a science fair project. We essentially set out with this kind of question this, this make a, we make a hypothesis, we investigate, some point we get to a conclusion. That, that means that each project is essentially always a kind of, you know, we're sort of heading down a path that feels brand new to us. And even though over the years we have created these one night kind of spectacle immersive happenings or masquerades or fool's fests, we've called them all sorts of things through the years. I don't think we've ever done it this way. And I think the reason we're doing it this way is that we are a little more mature. We also have amassed such a huge collection of ephemera that mm. part of part of the way we're cre- curating what this experience is, is essentially looking into the vault and drawing inspiration and bringing out some of our favorite pieces, making new pieces to complement existing things. And trying to create an experience that balances this sort of need to create in this grand scale of, 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 of decadence, but also is responsible to ourselves and to our artists and our community. Uh, you know, things that exist for one night have this kind of, um, like the candles blown out so quickly, but we, we also want to make sure that I don't know that we're pushing ourselves in a way we haven't before. I think the story piece that, that Chelsea was speaking to uh, the way in which we're considering the audience, the, the participants experience and the way we've ticketed the event, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be really mindful of where people are right now, where our community is, what kinds of things they would want to do. We also just want people to feel joy. Like at the, mm. at the end of the day, like what we think the world yeah. needs, we talk about it a lot is, is um, we need joy and um, to feel like we can leave our world for a little bit. And I think we're, yeah. well, Sorry. I think we're looking for joy too in art, art. And 
I think it's, yeah. you know, we, we tend to sit on the egg of our projects for many years. And with COVID and everything, all the all the things that make theater harder to do right now. Um, even though we've been kind of in a cave, we've been working on stuff. We've been doing readings and we're on like the verge of doing a real production soon. But I th- there's this like, so you sometimes just have to get the baby out. You just have to do have a joyful thing to prove that we can do it again and to prove that we can make a really joyful and fun space, even with just some of the things we have, just trying to make a night that invites everyone into our brain. Mm. And, invite, and like we can give them food and we can give them music and we can give them all these things that can just be a moment to come together. You, you tag there for a moment uh, that you've been gestating something for a while you've been sitting on the egg <laughs> and 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 i know i mean god was it even was it during 21 or was it even before pandemic i remember there being like immersive readings related to the next piece uh in in a couple of different places if memory serves um so maybe you could let's let's go there and talk about this this immersive piece that's gonna gonna come up you know, with a premiere later this year. The um, project, you know, related to this carousel of fools (laughs) uh, in in a big way is uh, a piece called um, Schlitzy Alive and Inside the Decaying Sideshow. And uh, it's, it's a project that Rogue has been developing for many, many years, originally brought to the ensemble uh, by one of our ensemble members, Eric Fagundes, who has been a long time uh, a fan of the sideshow and interested in the history of the sideshow. And through his research, realized that actually there's a part of the sideshow story specifically related to uh, the individual uh, known as Schlitzy professionally. We know him as Simon Metz. And he, he uh, actually, part of his life story intersected with the city of LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we began essentially a multi-year process of researching, trying to understand the story we might want to tell, what the parts that are challenging and difficult, all the preconceived notions about the sideshow. And, and one of the early questions that Rogue always asks of every production is, what's what's the way we want to tell the story? Like, what's what's the maximum impact for a participant in a narrative experience. And sometimes that is not an immersive piece. Sometimes actually the answer is that we want this to be an audiobook or we want it to be an installation or, you know, who knows. But this piece it felt that we wanted that the, the way in order for the audience to understand the lives of these people and what it was really like to be in the sideshow at a time when your life was essentially in, in jeopardy, you, your livelihood was in danger of being taken from you that the way to do that was to put the audience into the sideshow and implicate them into the experience. And so we're working, we're working very hard. We haven't quite, we're not ready yet to announce when, but it's in the coming months. We're in the next couple of months, we're going to be announcing where and when this production is going to be happening. And it is going to be a a really singular experience where you as an audience member will get to travel back in time turn of the century, become a part of the sideshow, 
meet, have very intimate experiences with these artists that are, that are um, representing actually each, each character, each actor represents a real person from history. These are not made up uh, people. These are highly researched in many accounts. We've gotten firsthand testimonies of what these individuals were like to base the script on. And um, the audience will get to live in this world and understand what it was like. Uh, and, and hopefully along the way, build some empathy, build some understanding in a way that maybe, maybe they didn't have. Uh, one of the big pieces of the project that early on became kind of a core principle or, or tenet was the inclusion of artists with disabilities. Mm. And so for, for many years, we've been working with um, a lot of folks from the disabled community uh, working with consultants on the project who identify as disabled themselves to create this experience as all rogue projects have been made to be inclusive and accessible. This project is going to exemplify that effort and be an experience that from the ground up is able to be enjoyed by folks with lots of different um, limitations and, and abilities of input and, uh, you know, try, trying to think of things in a very different way, which is oftentimes something that's not considered at all in immersive work, unfortunately. Mm. Um, well, and, and, yeah. and there's, oh, Chelsea, go for it. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, like, you know, the part of the thing with like the, the, the world of the sideshow and like in the, in the notes on this production, you know, it's noted that, you know, uh, you know, Schlitzie, or the real name you said is remind uh, me. Simon Metz. Simon Metz. Simon Metz. That you know they're they're in sort of the the infamous movie Freaks, which is about sideshows and 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 you know there's that word right mm-hmm. and and there's always been this tension I think between how people you know that world that fragile world of the sideshow what it kind of made in you know the role it played in Americana you know in the entertainment industry you know at the turn of the century and in the late 19th century turn of the century my goodness it's been 20 years since we're talking <laughs> the children in the audience are talking about the turn of the 20th century because I'm that old <laughs> um and 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 the, the you know the, the sort of this outsider status but also with folks who are you know either disabled or differently abled or just just this this there's always been that tension between those two things and it's it's interesting to me because you've always been in my experience of your your shows you've always been fairly conscious of like you know who's getting incorporated who's at the table to be telling stories mm. and being part of it and who's being invited to experience and here's one where it's kind of diving right into the teeth of something that's been painful for a lot of folks over, over the course of the history of this and and kind of uh you know frauds like the 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 bloodless way of, of talking about it but there's mm. there's there's a lot there's a there's a lot of material in here there's a lot of there's a lot of tension and 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 you know there was a lot of exploitation of folks right mm-hmm. so in navigating that like what are i guess what are some of the the things as you've been developing this one and 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 diving into the material that that you found yourself kind of maybe discovering or 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 i don't know like maybe even being like well we know we we know we can't go here or we know we have mm. to go here 
I mean, some of it just comes down to uh, treating these characters as real people, because often the tension comes from not doing that. And you really get to spend time behind the scenes. You are behind, you are part of, as an audience member, the sideshow as it's functioning as a workplace and as a family or makeshift kind of family behind the scenes. So it's not all presentational or exploitative in that way. Um, we are playing where, where that line is because we do want people to think about that uncomfortable feeling of mm-hmm. how folks were treated. But then like, what is the other side of it? Because everything has multiple sides. What were the things, what were the positive human connections that happened with people working on the sideshow? What did that look like? Um, I think as long as you're approaching things with questions like that and not judgments, I think we, we've discovered a lot of amazing things and a lot of really tender moments that Eric has written in the play. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think too. It's 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 um th- th- there there would be one way of approaching the piece to essentially make a historical recreation, and although we we are researching and we understand you know through through the work we've done we we have an idea of what that is. We also have been giving ourselves permission to be theatrical, mm-hmm. take people on a journey through the imagination. Through what it, through sort of psyche experience of what it felt like to be these characters, to to be these people living in this time and having this job, having this lifestyle, and so sometimes we are purposely putting the audience in the position of someone that's being judged or gazed at in this very uncomfortable way, and other times we're you know putting the audience in the position of the person that is gazing, mm. and and. And so you get to really experience both. Um, there's also, um, you know, an approach that we've taken with casting the production where artists that, that may identify as being disabled aren't exclusively playing characters that were disabled or people that were disabled. So that you might have someone that's blind, for instance, playing a character, you know, that, that actually is based on a real person that did not, have any vision impairment. And so there's a real sense of, of shaking up that approach. We, in the workshops we've done of the piece, we've talked to a lot of artists that have said, Oh my gosh, I've never, I've never not played a disabled person. And Mm. for the audience to sit across from someone, as you often do in an immersive experience, and you're sitting arms distance from, from an actor portraying a character. And this person in many cases from an able-bodied audience perspective they're so their their lived experience as a human, not as a character, is so different, and that just coming together and building that empathy, not even talking about like what characters what the story is, but just just bringing people close to people that are different than themselves has been I think one of the most profound parts of the project for me and and to watch the audience members experience this uh which is only kind of like invigorated and made even put more import on that aspect of the production, uh, even though there's challenges involved and it takes more, you know, it takes a little bit more thoughtfulness and resources. And it's, it's really shifted, I think, in a lot of ways, like all of the rogues sort of um, foundational 
tenets of inclusivity. We, we, mm-hmm. uh, we've often been inclusive of the LGBTQIA community and of lots of people that identify in different, you know, ways, but haven't really done that work within the, in, in, you know, inclusion of the disabled community. So that, that's a big, a big thing we're um, just working through right now. Well, I, I think that's why this needed to be an immersive show versus a proscenium show. Um, I think we've had a lot of discussions about that, especially trying to find a space for this play and all the development. Like, could it be proscenium? Could it be something else? And that's why we keep coming back to immersive, because in having that closeness in taking people off the stage where they are being gawked at or or may, putting the audience in a passive position where they don't have to deal with feelings or interact with folks or be in moments like really physically and emotionally it doesn't work the same way the this story the like the mission behind this play doesn't work as well if the audience is passive completely so the human connection and the like being really close to people and being able to live as well as we can in that world is what's going to make the, the show really work. Even though it, it will be theatrical and there will be magic and they will and not like fully and lots of puppets. historical. <laughs> better be lots puppets. of puppets. Jesus. So many puppets. So many puppets. Yeah, so many. If, if there weren't, if one day there wasn't, I don't know what we would do with you two. Or the whole we, we would all be taking a nap. Well, I yeah. know you'd be taking a nap because we're no puppets. But like, I don't. Why would I come to a show like just a show of you all taking naps? Or at least, at least have puppets next to where you're taking naps. Um, I mean, I like that. That's concept an amazing version. idea, actually. Yeah, <laughs> puppet nap, puppet nap, the puppet nap immersive puppet experience. Nap. You just pay like a nominal fee, and you just get to lie with a puppet, and the puppeteer is just breathing and like occasionally like patting your head with the puppet. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could I can take this part out in case you just want to make money on this. Like just let me know. Like that can be cut from the interview. We need to have a and, we'll have a yeah. nap tent at the carousel. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the, the copyrights immersive are napping. in the process. Yeah. Immersive napping. They they try to make everything else immersive. Idea. Why not? Why not? You naps? Yeah. Speaking of immersive and in theater and, and, and like proscenium versus no proscenium shows, like what do you feel mm. like you, you you play in both spheres robustly robustly your company plays in both spheres what do you feel like you've learned uh or or started to find yourself trending towards on the immersive side over the course of this like past you know better part of a decade of playing in this very specific uh type of theater uh and 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 yeah I mean, I feel like all of our plays have always had some twinge of that world building that immersive does so well. Like we are not really satisfied with just the world existing on the stage. It always starts to creep in beyond Mm -hmm. the stage. And that's existed since the moment they did. We did our first rogue show. But I think um, we've been we're really thoughtful about the structure, the story structure um, for each piece. So who is the audience and how do we want them to interact with this particular story? And and why does it have to be this way? I think some people just want to make an immersive show because that's the cool word. 
that's the cool thing or what? whatever. No. What? Never happens. <laughs> so we try to be really thoughtful when we use that word and we make that choice. Like, well, why does the audience have to be an active participant in this story? Does that actually fulfill the like North Star big question that we have that we're asking in this story? And sometimes that means it's more of an interactive, they're a little more passive, but there's some audience interaction. We break the fourth wall a lot in our shows. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I think we've we've done a lot of playing over the years. And I think now every time we have a new show, we're really, we ask that question not only at the top, but like again and again and again at every time we keep developing it. Oh, do we need to put the audience in more? Or do we need to pull them back? When the, that, that's actually leads to another kind of a sub question here about your process. Something that some of my students up at CalArts, like they were, they came to me one day and were asking like, when, when do you bring the audience in? Right. And, and I gave them an answer like, look, you need to start thinking about that from the beginning, but when do you tend to start? Cause you have this, you have a long process, blissfully so, fantastically so you do workshops, you try things out, you go back into the lab. Even before you hit that workshop, is there a point where you're bringing in test audience? There's a point where you're trying to, mm. To, to, mm-hmm. to, to crack how audience is going to move through this world you're building. What does that look like for you? It, it, I think for us, I mean, it happens in this sort of conceptual phase. We try to write our scripts as though it's, it's talking to who the audience is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that when it says in the script, you enter a space, the, the, the you is the audience member. You are asked to do this thing. You walk here. You are led here. We're, from the very first moment we start, you know, putting pen to paper, I think it's in there. And then absolutely within the, I think all of our, anytime we've done an immersive piece and we've had a reading, essentially, essentially we, we work in three phases, a conceptual phase, a reading phase, and then a workshop phase. And having just gone through a big process within the ensemble to revise this, we've identified that it is absolutely very likely and will most often happen that you'll bop around between those phases. It's not always a straight shot because we often will learn something that kicks us back to an earlier step. But even within the reading phase, we are inclusive of of the audience in a way that is different than if we were doing a reading for a piece that was intended for a proscenium space. We, for the um, reading we did of Schlitzy, uh, we actually did it at the Valley Relics Museum, which is this fabulous, incredible dual airplane hangar museum full of ephemera from the San Fernando Valley and set the reading all around the museum. So the audience was moving from space to space. They were coming together, breaking apart. We Each of the three nights of the reading, we tried a completely different form of what that audience experience was going to be and refined with the actors how to address them, how much to ask or not ask of them. And each of the readings we also, and this is true for all of the readings we do and workshops we do, we always end with an audience discussion because to to observe from the outside is a small piece of actually gathering the feedback you need to make something that works. You need to understand what the audience thinks, what they actually perceive. Are they understanding the thing that you wanted them to understand? If not, does that mean to it's working or do we have to change and amp up or decrease or refine whatever the thing is, you know, it's, it, it, you know, theater 
to me, it doesn't actually exist on the stage or in the audience. It's actually in the space in the middle. And it's an agreement together of what the shared experience is. And that's what I think makes it so fascinating and also really hard to get right mm-hmm. because the target's always moving and, you know, well, you're changing. The, the space itself changes things so much. Like I, as you were talking, yes. Sean, I was thinking about the, um, the very, very first Kaidan workshop we did, which was at the Japanese gardens in Van Nuys which couldn't be a different space than where we ended up in the six story <laughs> creepy warehouse. <laughs> which but which like for we... everyone knows is now the home of the nest and a bunch of escape room. Like I think the nest is literally on the floor that y'all were on. Right? Yes. Yes, yes kept, they are. Oh, yes. It's kept its They're... tradition. They, they, they were wondering how all of the wonderful holes were put in the walls for their electrical systems. And I said to them, me, <laughs> I did it. We did it with a sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah, actually, my father went there and taught people how to do demolition so we could get those walls down. So we can all thank my dad. For that. Yes. <laughs> Chelsea's dad is directly responsible for the nest existing. You know, it, he, wow. he helped build theater sets when I was in high school, and it just keeps going Love into it. adulthood. But Love whatever. Um, but the Japanese garden was like, we had not truly done an actual like immersive walking people from space to space really yet so that was like we had these little scenes a lot of them some version of them ended up in the final show but like it was an afternoon in a garden and walking people around just totally different vibe and but we what we were really focused on was how do we get people from place to place how do we keep the story moving is this the kind of structure that feels right for this mm-hmm. how does this even work but then it was in a state of like you know nebulous unbirth thing until we found the six story warehouse and then the vibe changed cuz we change the writing to really fit the space we were in so so often like it has to be somewhat site responsive too depending on what the show is in a macro sense of site responsiveness a lot of the work and 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 this was related to the apothecary uh you know piece that you're putting into carousel fools a lot of the work has been this collection of of la stories if you will over the past few years, uh, you know, Senior Plumbers, you know, which was set in Plumber Plumber Park in uh, WeHo, was definitely that. Uh, this has, you know, this next piece has an LA component of it. Is that is telling these stories? Is is, is I guess are you finding yourself deploying immersive to tell LA stories or you're finding that as you're thinking about, well, let's do something immersive that LA stories become part of it because of that relationship of place to, to being in place, to moving through space, or have you all like so many Angelinos ultimately do be just become obsessed with all the, all the bits of Los Angeles that like everyone's (laughs) forgotten because everyone pretends like it's only been around for five minutes. Yeah, and I think a little—it's a little bit of all of it. A little right? bit of all of it, yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to be from a place and to love a place so much and not want to talk about it and not—it's—it's 
even when you think about Wood Boy, like that is very much an L.A. play, like even though Los mm. Angeles history is not in it and it's not specifically set in L.A., it's a seaside entertainment town. That's where the location is. And it's responding to Disney and Disneyland stuff and entertainment. And so even when we don't try to specifically do an L.A. play, we we do an L.A. play. Um, mm-hmm. Just some of our pieces have been a little more um, like specifically that. But like the Plumber Show was a collaboration with West Hollywood. They... Um, really reached out to us and it was a it was a long collaborative process to try to bring this very strange book and piece of west hollywood history and la history to life so some of it's in the relationships we've been building over the years as a company and where our interests lie and where we're drawn Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of folks in the company in the ensemble that are from la and in some cases, many generations in LA. And I think it was a few years ago that we revised our mission statement. And in that, had lots of conversations about what is the relationship between our art and the city and the people that live here. And really, really committed, I think, in a deep way to making art that's of, uh, of the community and responsive to the stories of the community even if it's not explicitly so, that it's always a part of the way we talk about things. And we, I think in the early development process of every production, we, you know, it's, it's a big conversation. Why, why are we the right artists to tell the story? And why, like, how is it connecting to questions we have or community needs? And from, a, from like a zoomed out perspective, that's super helpful because then we start to forge partnerships that then also help us to support the art making. And when the production finally finishes, we have these beautiful partnerships and everyone is so excited. You know, we've all invested into this production. We're all going to make sure it succeeds. So the, the idea for Rogue that it takes a village, you know, I think it really for us more like takes a county. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, but it's better for it, right? It's better as messy as it is and as complicated the process is, it's it's better for it. You tend to work on a on a, a long time scale here. Uh so I'm a little curious how many how many eggs are are squirreled away in the coop right now that are mm. that are being warmed. <laughs> uh Although I just caused terror in Sean's eyes. Well 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 Chelsea well laughs. Uh Sean looks terrified. Um yeah, like, I mean, not, maybe not in yeah. an absolute sense of what you're actually got right now, but like, how many do you tend to be juggling, like, behind your back while you're making something at the same time? Well, we can answer that maybe. as from a perspective of what is the reality right now and what our goals are yeah. as a company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a great way. Um, yeah. I think I think our long term goal is to always to, to be able to have a like one main stage production a year. And then have at least two others that are in active development leading up to that. So in a beautiful, perfect world in which everything is working out and we get our money and things are great. We have a main stage show and then we'll have like a workshop and a reading of two other shows happening. And right now we have two shows that are. And then like an event like the Carousel Fools. Um, Some little things here and there. Yeah. 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 And right now we have two shows that are nearing 
the like production phase and we're figuring out when those things are going to happen. And we have another script that um, has actually come out of the Rogue Lab, which is a writing um, like New Works um, incubator that I started with Lisa Dring uh, a few years ago that we're we're doing some workshopping of that probably this year. And then I have a weird horror play that um, is in more of the idea phase that, <laughs> you know, that's like. Which, in and the we're pipeline. working on that this year, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, working on that. We also are working on uh, our uh, Cowboy Electra project, which is. Oh, yeah. I knew there was another a, one. A uh, production we've been working on for, I think, about 15 years, if you can believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, we, we keep taking it on and off the shelf and like leaving it in the attic for a long time. But this piece is closer than it's ever been to finally crossing the finish line. And um, we're going to be doing a concert uh, of just the music from the piece. It's a um, telling of the Greek Electra myth, but it's set in a saloon space. So it is an immersive experience. And mm. it, is, uh, con- conf- it is also exploring the old like spaghetti Western and California history uh, themes. So Electra is um, actually, she lives at the saloon. Her mother is Nessie based on Clytemnestra. Nessie is the saloon um, owner and she runs the saloon after her husband mysteriously disappeared because she happened to murder him. And um, you, the audience, are in the middle of the saloon as it basically um, dives into acid westerns with a live band. And um, Oh my God that piece we're gearing up to premiere in the year in the next couple of years we have a workshop we're going to be doing of that piece as well it looks like um at a museum i won't tell you where but a museum <laughs> later in the year and then uh we have this year another premiere and actually that this production uh is in a theater space so it's not immersive in the traditional sense but it's um a production called happy fall a queer stunt spectacular and it is a, a, a live participatory stunt show that is looking at cinema, uh, queer cinema history and um, stunt history, and um, also features a lot of puppets, including one that we uh, light on fire. So we... Have uh, you told the insurance people about participatory <laughs> stunt show and fire yet? So we, we have We're going to just send them this podcast. <laughs> yes, that, that's right. If they have any questions, if, they, if it's not in this podcast, then why is it... There's an underwriter who listens to this on the regular. So uh, <laughs> well, that's amazing. Reach, yeah. Uh, maybe, I love it. Maybe they'll reach out and be like, oh, we'd love to take your money. No. Uh, but then because yeah, yeah. fire, they're like, no, stay away, actually. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay, fun. <laughs> We have trained, there's trained stunt uh, professionals working on that production, actually. So we, we've yeah. been getting guidance on the, the fire. Luckily, it's just a teeny amount of fire, but it's going to be enough to make the impact we need. And I keep yeah, that, that production, Happy, Happy Fall is going to open up in um, the fall in Los Angeles. Uh, and um, we're uh, um, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be announcing the dates for that in the location. Oh, that's fantastic. See, again, Banner, banner year, uh, like lots of, lots of stuff coming. Uh, you've been baking for a long time and now exploding out. So we feel it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's exciting. 
it's it's good to have some of these babies because prior prior to the pandemic, we had actually been doing all this infrastructure work to to do the thing that Chelsea was saying, which was to have a mm-hmm. fine, you know, finished production ready each year. And then the the pandemic, like I'm for so many organizations the partners that we had lined up, the relationships we had built, some of those organizations just didn't come back. And so a lot of the work Mm -hmm. we had done to plan, we had to really start over, which is, I think, what's taken us uh, a a little bit to figure out the strategy to realize these next productions. Also in 2017, 2018, that was a very packed year for us and it was just the way things worked out like we we had Kaidan in the fall of 2017 we had the second Woodboy production at the Gary Marshall in spring of 2018 yeah back and then back. we went straight in the plumber in the fall yeah and so we were tired in 2019 we like we consciously were like we need to reset ourselves we need to hibernate for like a moment and like plan 2020 and then of course everything happened yeah um yeah so our our last production before the pandemic was a cowboy electro workshop the the getty villa is one of the commissioners of that work and so we were doing a residency at the getty villa and i remember in one of our our uh, check-ins one of the artists working on the production had said, "Hey, did you hear about the this this virus going around?" And she just cavalierly said, "Wouldn't it be wild if this was like the last theater thing we did for a while?" Oh, and about two weeks <laughs> after that, the world yeah. was shutting down. We were yeah. we were like right yeah. at that moment, and I hadn't, you know, for all of us, it was a big changing kind of breath. But um, it's, you know, nothing is different. Nothing, nothing is different. Nothing is the same as it was, and therefore, for all these productions you know for everything we're doing we are forcing ourselves to try to ask the question of like is it is this the way we want to do it do we want to change it what's the better way what's the gentler way for ourselves Mm -hmm. for our artists for the audience you know how, how can we just be mindful and try to take the experience of the last few years and really make it a part of the the art we're making you know in in terms of not forgetting it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to look forward to out of your shop this year and beyond. <laughs> and I'm I'm really glad we got a chance to like like flag that for everybody cuz I I think that for those who are in LA and haven't caught one of your shows before. And I think a fair number of people who listen to the show have. Like one I hope they go down to the carousel and and get a little taste just because y'all activating that space is a, an exciting prospect in and of itself, just to watch however you're, you're going to wind up playing with it. And then everything else that's set up that you've got a full immersive show coming, that there's, that there's more shows and that it feels like the machine is starting to, to, to warm itself up and, and get things going again. Uh, that's a good sign. I'm very glad that here as kind of, arts in LA keeps on reawakening that, that the pandemic didn't take y'all out and that <laughs> the stuff that we were going to get, we're going to get, that's, that's really, that's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. Um, and so thank you both. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for chatting with us. Absolutely. Great. This has been invigorating. I, I really appreciate the space. <laughs>
<laughs> good, good. Once again, I want to thank Chelsea and Sean for being our guests on the show this week. I also, again, want to thank Chris Woolman for uh, hooking this up for uh, pinging me on uh, the internal NoPro Slack and saying, hey, you, you should pay attention over here because uh, that was a delightful conversation. And then we like we talked for like, I think, like another hour after we stopped the recording. Um, all right. That's it for this week. Uh, there's plenty on the site right now. We've gotten right back into the now playing and coming soon game. Uh, I believe as I'm recording this already up on the site this week is now playing the nose, which is in New York city and coming soon dragon slayer, which is going to be up in Seattle. And that's, uh, that's with some folks, uh, who performed in sleep no more and at the McKittrick, uh, that's the, the creative team behind that are, are seasoned, seasoned, uh, immersive folks. And then uh, we've also got uh, one in the shoot for uh, Temp Cupid. So uh, probably before Friday's through, that'll hit. And I am assembling uh, the uh, call sheet even as we speak, even as my microphone makes some clicking sounds. So I think I need to uh, check and see if this recording went fine. All right. Uh, this part of the recording, the rest of it's totally fine. Um, there you go. Behind the scenes, it's distracting. Uh, that's it. Let's do the credits and uh, we'll talk next week because we've got some more uh, some more podcasts uh, lining up. There's a lot of work to be done. Uh, it's, we're right back in it. The associate producer for the podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. Hi, Siobhan. Hope Paris is treating you well. Siobhan's on a little trip right now. Uh, the No Pro Podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, and mixed by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>